Well, good morning. Uh, summer after my sophomore year, I worked in a gas, I was a chemical engineering major, and I worked in a gas plant in Snyder, Texas. Six weeks I was in working on the compressors, uh, two weeks I was in the truck at the wells. But the most fascinating two weeks for me was with the operations guy, and we just tracked the plant around wherever it went. And the gas comes in and it gets compressed, and then they send it, and then they cool it down, they send some water but in a pipe, and it cools it, and then they drop, reach a dew point, they drop off the methane and the ethane and the isobutane, and it goes out there. I mean, it, this thing goes for acres and acres. I was just fascinated walking around, thinking, man, who put this all together? Who, who, who did this? But, but more to the point, once you got the plant all laid, who started it up? How, how, do, you, how do you get this thing going? for the first time. Uh, that would have been an uh, amazing process for me to see the startup of this gas plant that went for miles and miles and miles. Well, that's a little bit of a picture of the start of our world. So complex, so involved, so how did it happen? How did it get started? We're going to think about that today. So as Jared mentioned, if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Genesis 1, we'll start in verse 1, 1, and go through chapter 2, verse 3, and we're going to wrestle with the question, how did our world, how did it all get started? Well, the passage opens this way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the earth started, before our world came into existence, God was. From eternity past, God was. I don't read exhaustively about the, the debate and evolution, evolution and creation, theism and um, atheism, but, but I've read a little. And when I read atheists and they're asked about the first cause question, okay, it was a primordial soup and these things came together, where did those things come from? Oh, some aliens came to earth and they left their refuse and and our our world got started from that. Okay, where did the aliens come from? You're just pushing the question back. My experience is the first cause question just gets ignored. Oh, you you theists say God. Yeah, yeah, we do. What what other answer do you have? And And I haven't read exhaustively, but I haven't read a good one. We're saying is God is the first cause. He was there before it all came into being. It says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now please notice, the sun and moon won't come into existence till day four. But God said, Let there be light, And there was light. How how do you have light with no sun and no moon? God spoke. That's how how you have light. God said, I want light, and and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. No sun, no moon, but but we got days set up. Day two, verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters... From the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and so it was. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. 
Now, some people will say that somehow God is part of the heavens and the heavens are a part of God. And I would say God is separate from the heavens. God created the heavens. God is distinct from his creation. Day three. Verse 9, let the waters below the heavens be gathered in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. So God separates the water from the land, and we have dry land. There's more on the third day. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was an evening and there was a morning, a third day. So God creates a self-sustaining creation. He creates it so it will go on and on and on. Fourth day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be For signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The great light to govern the day, the sun, and the lesser light to govern the night. And then if if you're following along, you're going to say, it says he made, and you'll see that in italics. It really wasn't there. It's, It's implied by the translators because it says, so he made this the sun and moon, and they said the stars also. Oh, by, by the way, the stars also. And I think that's worth noting because there's 150 million galaxies that have been discovered so far. And just in the Milky Way, we have 100,000 million stars. And that, for God, was the stars also. Made this stuff, the stars also. Well, well how many? Well, we can't count. But that was kind of no thing for God. Just, just did it. Just did it. Just did it. Earlier we sang songs like How Great Thou Art and Indescribable. This is part of the reason we sing those songs. Because we marvel at the stars and we marvel at the number of the things. And God, you know, it's just the stars also. So far above us, so indescribable, we lack words. Verse 17, 18, God placed him in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. It was evening, and it was morning, a fourth day. So, we're on to day five. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, that which the waters swarmed with after their kind, and every winged bird after it was kind, after its kind, and God saw that it was good. In Moses' day, people feared. Yeah, and even worshipped the sea monsters. God said, Don't. Don't it's not worth it because I created them. If you're gonna worship, you're gonna worship the sea monster, you're gonna worship the sun, you're gonna worship the moon. I, I wanna I wanna save you. I, I'm a one stop worship. You, you don't have to worship all of them. You can worship me. I created all that other stuff. No need to fear that stuff. No need to worship that stuff. Verse 22, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. 
And it was evening, it was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures and their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and every living thing that creeps in the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. So God creates all the animals, all the stuff in the sea. That's, that's created by God, by kind. Finally, we're on to day six. It says this, uh, God said... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want to stop there for a second. In many countries, kings and rulers will set up statues of themselves. Think Saddam Hussein in Iraq. When he was deposed, people were pulling down statues. Well, why did Saddam Hussein set up statues? It was to remind people, hey, hey, that's me. Don't forget, that's me. Images all over Iraq, I'm the ruler. God's not setting up statues. But he does have his image on earth that people might be reminded that he exists. Not a statue. It's a person. It's you. And it's me. God's image bearers to remind people he exists. Second thought. In Moses' day, certain men were seen as God's image bearers. They were kings and they were elite. The poor folk, the women, no, no. You're not God's image bearers. You know what God's saying here? Every man, woman, child, every race, every socioeconomic class are God's image bearers. And that has something to say about racism or classism or treating women differently or lesser than men. Every person is created in God's image and is his image bearer. And when we get to classify people because their socioeconomic background or their race or, or whatever it is, we violate God's plan. Verse 28, God bless them. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. Then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree that has fruit yielding seed and it shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves, the earth was, has life. I have given every green plant and it was so. God saw all, he was made, saw all he had made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. So God creates people in his image to rule over his creation. Final day, verse 7, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. 
God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. We live in a complex world. So many things linked and this and that. And, and we're asking the question, how did it all start? How did it all come together? Here's how it did. God said so. God spoke. That's what happened. God spoke and our world came into being. God spoke and our world came into being. You know, as we talk about people being made in the image of God, that speaks to the value of human life. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't deal much with people being shot. Now, it's out of control. School shooting, we'd never think about that. And I would argue as a culture, we have lost sight of God, and all of a sudden, of you being created in God's image by design, on purpose for a person, you're, you're a chemical chance. You're just a happenstance. That, that's what we're being taught. And if that's the case, your life isn't worth that much. Bang, I pull the trigger. But if you were created by God on purpose, and, and I'm going to give an answer for taking your life, you might want to think about that. As we lose sight of God, human life is losing its value. I, I talked about the fact that, that we're being taught that this came together by chance. Things happen to be just right. And I've already argued the case. Where did all that stuff come from, first cause? I, I, I haven't seen a good answer to that. But I, I want to talk about the circumstances coming together that are just right. Mike Strauss is a particle physicist from the University of Oklahoma, and I'm just going to read what he wrote about everything coming together and the chances of that happening. He says, I liken the finely tuned universe to a panel that controls the parameters of the universe with a hundred knobs that can be set to certain values. If you turn any knob just a little to the right or to the left, the result is either a universe that is inhospitable to life or no universe at all. Consider the knob that controls the strength of the nuclear force that holds the quarks inside the neutrons and protons and binds the nucleus of the atom together. If the strength were increased by 2%, the element hydrogen would be either non-existent or very rare. Without hydrogen, there'd be no water. That'd be a bummer. Or stars that burn hydrogen as their nuclear fuel, like our sun. Without hydrogen, there would be no life. Now, okay, let's go to the other side. If the st- strength of the strong nuclear force was decreased, now, earlier we talked about an increase, now we're going to decrease about 5%, then hydrogen would be the only element in the universe. That would, make, that would simplify the periodic table and make chemistry class very easy, but would render life impossible. That's one. That's one 100 knobs that must be perfectly tuned. If you take the mathematical possibility that all 100 knobs are perfectly tuned, the number is infinitely small. I think it's more reasonable to believe a creator, God, that all these possibilities happen to come together. Maybe you're in a place you get ridiculed for, oh, that's, that's mindless. Well, you consider all the possibilities that have to come together for our universe to exist. The mathematical possibilities is infinitesimally small. 
If you read our newsletter, I, I put another one in there. Fred Hoyle, it'll come out here this week. Fred Hoyle talked about the force of gravity. He said if it was one trillionth of a bit smaller, our universe would blow apart. If one trillionth of a part stronger, we'd cave in on ourselves. And I can go through possibility by possibility by possibility. We talk about the idea that things can evolve from one kind to another. As we've understood the DNA change and the complexity of that, to go from a, an ape to a human, the DNA change that have to fall in place perfectly. And, and I've read some of this and I don't follow it all. But, but statistically, they're getting all those things right on the change. Again, it's a mathematical impossible. And yet we believe this. Let, let, me, let me say, okay. So, so we're, we're, we're playing poker, okay? Just for example, we're playing poker. And we play 20 hands of poker. And I happen to deal myself four aces on all 20 hands. And I think, wow, isn't that crazy? Isn't that, isn't that crazy how that fell together? What are you going to think? You cheated. You designed that thing. You planned that thing. The odds I'm talking about are far greater than our universe coming together, yet we buy the universe coming together. We have a reasonable faith. And you're told and we're told, oh, you're... No, no, I think it's the most reasonable thing to believe. Now, if we study this and think, well, I'm going to go win an argument with somebody who's hard set, probably not. Now, God may be working in that person's life, and, and this may, as we bring this stuff to bear, that God may use that to move them. Um, I was the first one in my family to come to faith, and my folks moved to New Jersey. I was at Texas A&M, and my older brother was in medical school in Houston. I came down, this was my sophomore year, and he, he picked up that I'd become a Christian. He asked me about that. You come to faith? Yeah, I come to faith. Well, he said, you know, I tried that, uh, and it just didn't work for me, and, and, and he wasn't ridiculing, that's good for you, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm just not interested. Okay. So that's about a year, about 15 months later, I come down, I come, we're the only family I had, so I go down and see him. And I walk into his room one day, and he said, I, I got a new book I want to show you. Well, great. And he picks up a Bible, and I said, whoa, I... I didn't expect that. That's good. I said, what happened? He said, you know, I've been studying the human body. And I asked myself, has this thing come together by chance? And he said, I just didn't think it was a reasonable thing. Now, he also told me, he said, Andrew, I was on my way to becoming chemically dependent. I was getting home at night and I couldn't sleep and I was popping three or four beers to get to sleep. I had to get up in the morning because I had to be on call and I was pounding coffee. He had some stuff going on in his life. His, uh, being a doctor was going to set him and give him all he wanted, and he wasn't happy. And it, it, he, I think those circumstances made him take a look at the facts again and say, you know what, I, I think the most reasonable thing is God, God created this thing. So God may use this in people's lives. But, but I think there's a far greater application for you and me who follow Jesus. Look, when God gave this to Moses... They were on their way across the desert from Egypt into the promised land. And they were whining, man, we ought to go back and we don't have any water. And God told Moses, tap this rock and you'll have water. We don't have any food. Well, let me provide you some food. And I think God gave this to Moses to tell the people, look, if, if I spoke life into existence, I can give you life right here in the desert. 
So for those of us who follow Jesus, you need to know that the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And John, I think, purposely mimics the beginning of Genesis to say that the Word of God who became flesh, Jesus, was there at the beginning. He was speaking the world into existence. He is the first cause. And I don't know what you got going on in your life right now, but it was, maybe it's pretty dark. But God can speak, Jesus can speak life into your circumstances. Because see, the deal was, there was no light on day one. There was no sun, there was no moon. How are we going to get light out of this? God spoke, that, that, that's what happened. He said, let there be light, and there was light. That, that's how it went down. And, and I don't know how dark the circumstances are in your life, but Jesus can speak life into them. So, so he, and he's going to heal me, he's going to restore. No, no, no I, I can't promise an answer, but I can promise life. And here's what I want to tell you. Because he created life, he can give you life right now. Right where you are, right where you stand. The, the life you've got, the life you've had, the, the job, the breath. The, the, he spoke that. He spoke it all into existence. This is so much more than an academic exercise. Let me, let me address one more thought. There's a divide in evangelicalism on what I would call um, young earth, old earth. And there are certain people who will look at the word day and suggest it's not a 24-hour period. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an age. Um, and so the young earth people would say, no, it was six literal days and, and the earth is young. And the old, the old earth people would say, no, day is, is a gap and, and the earth is a lot older because there were gaps in between. So Andy, where do you fall? I will tell you five and a half days a week, I'm young earth. And it really turns on your understanding of the word day in Hebrew. And I, I'm there. I, I think the best use is, is a 24-hour day. Well, what happens the other 36 hours? I read somebody like Tim Keller or, or evangelicals I really respect, and they make the argument that day is a longer period of time. My best understanding is it's a 24-hour period, but it doesn't need to divide us. Both of us understand that God is the creator. He created it in kinds. My, my thing is, when, when God created, we didn't, we didn't know what the world, how did, what did the world look like when we, when we created it? And what did a flood do to the world as, as we consider dating the earth? And what was it look like? We weren't there when it was started. So that's where I fall. Young earth, 24-hour period. Others don't. I, I respect them, and, and we agree on, on the major things. That God is the one who spoke this into existence. And God is the one, because he spoke life, he can give us life right now. So what is the circumstance that seems so dark to you? God can speak life into that circumstance as we speak. So a few weeks ago, I was having trouble with my phone. It wasn't charging. I think at some point, you're going to lose your you can't, if it won't charge, you're out of luck. And I mean, I'd have to jiggle it, and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to, I guess this phone's done. And I have to spend, what do you spend, 500, 600 bucks to get a new phone. But I thought, I'll go back to the store where I bought it and see if they can help me. Because they were the ones that distributed the phone. They, they gave me life of being equal to text and all that stuff. Let me put life in quotes. So I go to the guy, and I say, here's my problem. I can't get it to charge. And he goes, oh, 
He says, I, I think you've got lint in your port there. Let me clean that out. And he gets a toothpick and he cleans it out. And he puts some compressed air and he goes, look, it charges just fine. I am so glad I took my phone back to the one who gave it to me. Do you understand when you're down on life, you need to take your life back to the one who gave it to you. He spoke you, he spoke our world into existence. As we're looking for life, would we look to the creator? He brought it all together. And because he spoke life, he can give you life. In a moment, I'm going to have the, uh, we're going to celebrate communion. So if you're one of the people serving at those tables, would you come up and uh, begin the process? Um, as we celebrate communion, let me, let me just say, we're not believing this becomes a little body and blood of Jesus. It's, it's symbolic. This, this one who spoke life also came and he died for us because we, we went our own way. We pushed back against God. And, and he, he lived the life we were supposed to live and he died and he rose again. And, and we're celebrating that, that torn body and that shed blood. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to celebrate with us. In, in just a moment, I'll pray and we can go. Um, you don't have to be a member of North Point. We just ask you to be a follower of Jesus. Once I pray, if you guys would go to this table, you guys on the far ends, that would be great. There's um, gluten-free stuff in the trays if you need it there. But I'm asking, I want you to think as we go, well, what is it Do you think I, I'm kind of losing out on life there? Would you look to the one who gave you life to bring you life right now? Let me pray, and then we can celebrate this Jesus. So Lord, we are grateful for um, Jesus, the Son of God, but the one who is the first cause, the one who spoke our world into existence. Lord, and I pray that wouldn't be an academic exercise. I pray it wouldn't be an argument that we're going to try and win. I pray first and foremost it would be an understanding that, that he gave us life. He can bring us life right now. Would we take hold of our creator and trust him for life? It's his name we pray. Amen.